As we come to look at God's word this morning, there's just one verse this morning that we're going to focus in on, and it's verse 14 of John chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Let's pray and ask that God would speak to us through that one verse this morning. Lord, just now we pray that in the stillness and in this time that we would hear your voice. Pray for each of us this morning that you'd say something to us and that you would encourage us and remind us of your grace. But Lord, would you speak to us this morning a word that we need to hear, a word that we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. In a couple of weeks' time, we'll all be eating something that looks a little bit like this. And one of the things that I love about this, the Christmas dinner, is the meat. I just love the meat at Christmas. A bit of smoked salmon for the starter, maybe some pate, some nice meat for the starter. And then the main course, turkey, ham, and even the paste de resistance, sausages wrapped in bacon. I love meat at Christmas. And if you're a vegan Sorry about that, nothing I can do about it. I love it, it's great. Uh, maybe you're like me, maybe this morning that you're someone who, who likes the meat at Christmas. Now, I wonder this morning, can you remember what you call uh, an animal that eats only meat? I wonder, can you remember that this morning from your, your science classes in school? Uh, do you remember when you learned about the dinosaurs? Uh, dinosaurs that only eat plants, they're called herbivores. And then you've got dinosaurs that eat plants and they eat animals, and they're called omnivores. And then you've got the dinosaurs who only ate meat. And they were called, has anyone got it? Carnivores. The primary school teacher was first. Well done, Peter. Extra points. Carnivores. Carnivores only ate meat. Now, maybe you're listening to me going, Marty, why on earth are you talking about meat at Christmas dinner? And why on earth are you talking about carnivores? Well, the word for meat, the Latin word for meat, is the word carno. Carno. And that means flesh. It means meat. That is the Latin word. You even getting a Latin lesson this morning. So carno means meat. And so that's why those animals, they're, they're carnivores because they eat meat. Have you ever heard of chili con carne? Sounds good, doesn't it? Carne at the end. Do you know what that means? It means spicy stew with meat. Have you heard of the word carnage? There was carnage on the battlefield. That's again connected with flesh. There was the slaughter of flesh on the battlefield. This Latin word carno, it means flesh and it means meat. And again, you're scratching your head. Why on earth are you talking about this? Well, the reason is very simple. And it's because at Christmas, what we as Christians are celebrating is something that theologians, that's very smart people who study the Bible, they call it the incarnation. Incarnation. And what that means is we celebrate that God took on meat, that God took on flesh, that God took on hair and muscle and bones, that God came down. John puts it this way, the Word became flesh. The Word, do you remember that from a couple of weeks ago? Who was the Word? The Word was God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. The Word became, it means He, he took on, he, he took on humanity. 
He didn't become not God. He remained God, but he became flesh. He, he took on flesh. He took on flesh and bone and skin. If you want a definition of the incarnation, what we're celebrating at Christmas, this is a really good definition down in the white. The eternal Son of God, without ceasing to be God, took on a fully human nature. God came down. And God became one of us. God became meat and flesh and bones. All this incarnation theological stuff might be over your head. If it is, don't worry, because all I want you to remember this morning is that God became God con carne. God became flesh. God came down. In 1996, there was a really catchy song written by a lady called Joan Osborne. And it was called One of Us. And although I do like to sing in sermons, I'm not going to sing it this morning. But I am going to just tell you some of the words. It says this, what if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. Now, I don't like the slob bit. But she gets to the heart of what happened at Christmas. God became one of us. He lived in the same world that we lived in. He took on flesh. God became meat. How did this happen? We can't get our heads around it. Is it hard to understand? Yes, it is. Is it difficult to explain? Absolutely. But this is what we're celebrating at Christmas, that God took on flesh and bone and became one of us. This is another thing to, to marvel at, another mystery to ponder this Christmas. Just think about it. Just think about how mind-blowing this thing is. Think about how mind-blowing it is that God came down. The Word became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. The unlimited became limited. The unbreakable became fragile. Eternity entered into time. The independent became dependent upon his mother to feed him. Spirit became matter. The Almighty became weak. The loved became the hated. Fame turned to obscurity, from ruler to being ruled, from power to weakness, from a throne to a manger, to a cross. God came down. He became like us. God took on meat. God became flesh. And this this in some ways is completely and utterly unbelievable. To help you think what it must have been like for God the Son to become a human, I want you to look at this next picture. It's this lovely, cute little doggy there. You see, it's nice, isn't it? 
I wonder this morning, are you a dog lover? I am, and if you're not a dog lover, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you'll be okay. I, I love dogs, they're great. Dogs are wonderful, dogs are fantastic, but C.S. Lewis says this. He says, imagine that lying at your feet is a dog. Imagine for a moment then that your dog and every dog in the whole world is in deep distress. And then he says, imagine this. Imagine that if it would help dogs to become like men, would you be willing to become a dog? You love dogs. You've got your own dog. If you became aware that all dogs in the world were in distress and you could save them, would you be willing to become a dog? C.S. Lewis goes on and he says this, would you put down your human nature Leave your loved ones, your job, your hobbies, your art, your literature, and your music, and choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved, the poor substitute of looking into your beloved's face. Would you choose to leave all of those things and become a dog? Would you choose to lose your speech? Would you choose to be unable to communicate like you once did? Would you choose to become limited to only the things that a dog could do for a period of time? I don't know about you. I'm a great dog lover, but there is no way I do that. There's just no way that I would become a dog. And yet what the Bible tells us is that God the Son, who was limitless in power and glory and honor, who was worshipped by angels for eternity. The Bible tells us that, that he chose, that he chose to take on flesh, that he chose to, to take on humanity, a human nature, that he, he chose to have limited powers. And why did he do it? Why did he do this? Why did he step down? Why did he take on flesh? Why did he become so confined? Why did he become weak? Why did he become all of those things that we thought about a moment ago? Why did he do that? Well, friend, he, he did it for me. And he did it for you. He did it for us. We are the dogs. <laughs> We're the dogs who were in distress, if you like. And Christ took on flesh for us. And there are three reasons this morning why he took on flesh for us. There are three reasons this morning, three things, three, three reasons why he did this. And this morning, I just hope you can get these. The first reason that Jesus did this was to sympathize with us, to understand us, to, to fully sympathize with our weaknesses. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says this about Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going through something. And it's really hard. And in your mind, what you're thinking is this. No one understands what I'm going through. No one understands the pain that I feel today. No one understands the hurt that I am carrying. 
No one understands this situation. There are lots of people like that today. Maybe you're in here this morning, but, but out there in your family and in your friendship circles, there are many people we know who are living like this. Living saying, no one understands. No one can relate to me. No one can help me. No one can get this. No one can get this and no one can help me right now. But friend, the incarnation, God becoming flesh, tells us that God understands. Jesus understands what you're going through. Whatever you're facing, whatever situation you're in, Jesus this morning, he really understands. You know, if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and even if you just skim read them, you will see that Jesus has been through many of the most difficult and hurtful things that we go through. He was homeless. Did you know that? He says, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but I, the son of man, I have no place to lay my head. Jesus knows what it's like to live in poverty. His family, he had family problems. At one stage, they thought he was crazy. They, they tried an intervention on him. Family issues, Jesus knows all about those. His best friends, they turned their back on him in his greatest hour of need. He was arrested. He was going to go to the cross and his disciples all fled. He knows what it's like to feel alone, abandoned by those he trusted. His, one of his closest confidants, Judas, he stabbed him in the back. He sold him for pocket change. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back. He stood face to face with Satan, didn't he? And Satan threw all of his demonic powers against him. Jesus knows what it's like to be under spiritual attack. He dealt with death and he dealt with grief as he wept at his friend's tomb. He endured gossip and he endured slander. He had that going on behind his back. Jesus experienced exhaustion. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just exhausted. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Maybe this morning you're here and you are zonked. Jesus knows what that's like. He too himself experienced it. He suffered, didn't he? He knows all about physical pain. He knows all about physical suffering. His torture before the cross was excruciating and his death on the cross was horrible. He knows what it's like to be publicly shamed, to be made fun of and a spectacle of in public. He knows what it's like to be criticized and mocked. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He even knows what it's like to feel forsaken by God. Do you remember what he cried out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here and you feel forsaken by God in some way. You feel like God is far away. It's not true. He, he's near, but he doesn't feel near. Maybe you're disturbed by that today. Maybe you're 
struggling with that today? Well, Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus knows how you feel. And he also knows what it's like to be tempted. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never rebelled against his father. But he was tempted to. He was tempted with sin in every way. And and so he knows the struggle with sin you have. He understands how enticing it is. He understands how easy it would be to fall into sin or to run into it. Jesus understands you this morning. That's what the incarnation tells us loud and clear. He understands you. He's sympathy for you. But what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just stay with sympathy. Do you know sympathy? It's that kind of feeling of, of feeling sorry for someone. It's, it's been able to empathize with him. But Jesus, he never leaves sympathy by itself. Jesus, you see, he marries sympathy with compassionate action. Whenever you read the Gospels, Jesus doesn't just feel sorry for people, but then he steps into their life and he does something about their situation. He gives them a hand up. He walks with them through difficult days. You see, in the life of Jesus, sympathy is always married to compassionate action. And this morning, I want you to know that Jesus doesn't just sympathize with you today, but he wants to help you. He wants to help you with whatever you're going through. As I was preparing for this sermon, I think I've just discovered what maybe my favorite verse in the whole Bible is. I've been asked that question before and I've never been able to give an answer, but I I think I now know what my favorite verse in, in the whole of the Bible is. And it's from the book of Isaiah. And and Isaiah, he's looking forward to the day when the Messiah will appear. He's looking forward to when Jesus will arrive. And this is what he says about Jesus. He says, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Take a look at this next picture. The picture on the left That's a bruised reed. If you're into farming, you know that very often whenever a plant or or a reed gets broken like this, when it gets bruised, it's not fallen off, so it's counted as bruised, but it's not able to bear fruit and it's not able to be fixed. It's broken. It's bruised so badly. It's broken. And there's no real hope for this reed if you're a farmer. What you do is you just go and you cut it down. But Isaiah says, not with Jesus. A bruised reed, he will not break. You see, what Jesus is in the business of doing is fixing broken reeds. You see, what Jesus would do with this, we read, is that he'd he'd prop it up and he'd tie it together or he'd hold it together and he'd mend it. Maybe you're here this morning and you are broken. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel unfixable. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel just so broken. Well, let me encourage you. Jesus says that a bruised reed he will not break. 
Or maybe you feel like you're a, a smoldering wick. There's a candle and it's gone out. Look, there's just a little bit of red and it's about to go out. Well, Jesus says a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus is one who can rekindle a flame. Maybe you feel like your life is going out. Maybe you feel like you've lost hope. Well, this morning, Jesus is one who can rekindle your life. Maybe though you're here this morning and and you're not at that kind of desperate place, but maybe as a Christian, you feel like a bit of a broken reed or, or a smoldering wick. Maybe in your spiritual life just now, this is how you feel. Maybe you've got a lot going on. Maybe you're struggling with mental health or spiritual health or physical health. Maybe you're just struggling just now as a Christian and you feel like a broken reed or a smoldering wick. You feel like a weak Christian. You you feel like your faith is fragile. You feel almost like, you know, with, with a bit of a push, you might drift away from Christ. Well, friend, listen to this this morning. Jesus is not going to break you off. Jesus is not going to snuff you out. He's gracious and he's compassionate and he understands why you are where you are this morning spiritually. He understands all the things that are going on in your life. And he's got you. And he's not going to let you go. He's going to hold you and he's going to mend you and he's going to revive you down the line. Jesus understands you this morning and he loves you and he rejoices over you and he's never going to let you go. But there are two other reasons why Jesus came this morning and I'll just finish with those very quickly. The second reason this morning he came is to set us an example of how to live. Jesus is one who, who lived in this broken world. He, he lived among broken people. He lived with the stresses and the strains and the problems of life. He is one who has lived where we have lived. He understands this world we live in. And another reason he came was to, to show us how to live in this broken, difficult world. If I was to ask you this morning, what, what does it look like to live as a Christian? I wonder what you'd say. What does it look like to to live as a Christian? What does it look like to live in this broken world as a follower of Jesus? Do you know what my biggest fear is for Christians today? It's that we answer that with a list of don'ts. Well, Marty, to live in a Christian in this broken world, it means don't drink, don't smoke, don't swear, and I'm not encouraging you to do those things. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And so often... The answer to the question, how do we live for Jesus in this world, is this list of religious don'ts. But that's not really what we see in Jesus, is it? What we see in the life of Jesus are lots of do's. We see Jesus living in this broken world amongst broken and hurting people. And what do we see him do? We see him doing all of these amazing things. We see him feeling sympathy for people. He he walks and he sees people and he feels sympathy for them. And then he chooses to have compassion on them, that he moves sympathy to actually think, I'm going to do something about these people. I'm going to do something for these people in their hurt and in their pain. And Jesus, as he walks through life, he gives help to the people who are in need. 
And he demonstrates love like no one else has ever demonstrated love. And he speaks truth in the middle of all of this. He doesn't compromise his convictions, but he speaks truth to people as well. And he demonstrates grace. He demonstrates forgiveness. Jesus sets the example of how to live in this broken world amongst broken people. This morning, maybe you're here and you're a bit bored of being a Christian. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, what's this all about? How am I meant to be living? I know that I'm going to heaven and that's fantastic, but what am I supposed to be doing in the in-between? Friend, look to Jesus and look at his life and look at how he lived and you'll see how he's calling you to live too. And the last reason Jesus came Why did he take on flesh? He did it to save us. Look at what 1 John chapter 4, 14 says. It says, The Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Friends, we we cannot separate Christmas from Easter. Easter is the fulfillment of Christmas. Jesus took on flesh and and lived the life he did that was perfect because he wanted to save us. And he went to the cross and he died this horrible death, this sinless man suffering there. Why was he suffering? Why was he dying on the cross? Why was this sinful man dying there? He was dying there in our place as our substitute. He came to bear the wrath of God that we deserved. He came to take the punishment that our sin deserves. He came to be the saviour of the world. This morning if you're here and you've not put your trust in Christ, you're welcome to today. You're welcome to take your sin and your shame and your guilt and give it to him. Confess it to him, give it to him and trust in his death and on the basis of that receive grace and mercy and forgiveness and a clean slate. This morning, the word became flesh to save us. I preached at Andy and Michelle's wedding in the summer And uh, they had a a song at their wedding that I'd never heard before. Uh, And I've changed one of the words ever so slightly. But this morning I just want to finish by by reading these words to you. And as I read them, why don't you respond in the quiet place of your heart? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed? By the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. 
bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. O come to the Savior. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Are you broken today? Hurting today? Jesus understands. Come to him with your pain. Come to him with your sorrow. Come to him with your hurt. Come to him with your situation. Bring it all to him. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. We have a great saviour and he loves you. Let's pray just now. Lord Jesus, we need you. Every hour we need you. Day by day, we need you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace and your compassion and your mercy on us. I thank you that where we feel broken just now, you can bring healing. That where we feel our life is flickering out, you can rekindle life. Lord Jesus, help us this morning to delight in your compassion and in your grace and help us to believe the truth of your word that you really understand all that we go through and that you love us and sing over us. Lord, I pray for anyone struggling this morning. I pray that if they need a listening ear that you give them courage to reach out. And I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, if anyone is struggling, that you would be at work within them today. In Jesus' name, amen.